Good morning. It's good to be here. Let me ask you a question. Is it well with your soul today? I mean, really well with your soul? You know, I love when I talk to different believers over the years, and I, whether it be on the phone or we get a chance to fellowship together, and, and I say, hey, how's it going? And they say, I'm good. I'm good. I mean, I was going to call the message today instead of what's up on the screen. I was going to call it, I'm good. But Grant's been in Romans, so we know that's not true. But, you know, when you talk to somebody and you say, how's it going? And they say, I'm good, and you believe them. It's good. You know, whoever picked the music today, ah, it is well with my soul. So let's say that. Is it well with your soul? Is it really today? I've been doing a series of of sermons and... um, it's basically things that I wish I would have known better 25 years ago. And this is one of them. Um, we're going to talk about godliness plus contentment is great gain. And I want to just start off at the very beginning here by letting you know I am not a contentment graduate. <laughs> Ask my wife. I mean, I drive down the road, and I've got a 2003 Silverado. It's fine. But I look at the new Silverados with those nice little steps in the bumper. I go, I want one of those. Well, wait a minute. I need to be grateful for what I have. And, you know, we tend to justify things that we want. You know, uh, I can sell myself on why I need to have that. You know, I need... Uh, that RV with two axles because it's safer, right? And so I want to talk about um, contentment and contentment coming from our heart. Our context is in First Timothy. Thank you for reading that. Uh, and, and the whole context is false teachers who incorrectly think <clears throat> that... Um, Godliness in and of itself, or at least an outward appearance of godliness, is great gain. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I have a water down there. Where's Carol at here? It's right behind Tim on the floor there. And if you grab me Carol's, that's fine. We've been married for 40 years. <laughs> Thank you. And Paul counters their assumptions, writing, no, godliness plus contentment is great gain. And so what we're going to look at this morning is what does godliness in terms of the eyes of God look like, true godliness? What does it mean to be content and the opposite of contentment, which is covetousness, right? And then lastly, we're going to look at what does great gain look like in the life of a godly person and even more important in the eyes of God. You know, whenever God puts a message on my heart, um, and this message really, as I was praying for you guys of what to share, came about a month ago, 
<clears throat> I always get a little nervous to the passage that God takes me to because he makes me live it. And doing this, again, I'm not a contentment graduate. I've seen how much contentment or uh, covetousness, I'm sorry, is, is in my own heart. So um, if you can put the next screen up there. Um, so in good preaching, in a preaching class, right, it's called homiletics, you want to be able to say what you want to say in your message in one statement. Because if you say a lot more than that, people are going to walk away with, well, I don't know what that sermon was about. So here's what I want to say today, okay? It's practicing gratitude with thankfulness kills envy and covetousness and paves the way for godliness with contentment, which produces great gain. So to that end, if you'd allow me, I'm going to pray one more time and ask for God to speak today, and and I stay out of his way. God, thank you so very much for this precious church. It's a church where my daughter and her family have been blessed. I thank you, Lord, for the leadership here. I thank you for the people that are gathering here. But, Lord, to him who has much, much will be required. And so I pray, Lord, that you would use me as a conduit of your grace today to just check our hearts so that, Lord, when we sing it's well with our soul, we mean it. And so do a work today, God, in our hearts. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Roman numeral one is godliness. So that's the next. Godliness. So the context is that of false teachers, 3 through 10, and Paul writing to a young pastor really describes it. I mean, look at uh, verse 4, that the false teachers are puffed up with conceit. They understand nothing. They have unhealthy cravings for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produces envy and dissension and slander and all kinds of other horrible stuff. And, And so... Paul makes the contrast between the outwardly appearing godly person, the false teacher, with the genuine believer like Timothy. And so in verse 5, it's that religious, outwardly godly looking person. They might have a moral life by all outward appearances. Um, They might be a good person by all outward appearances. But listen, um, a Mormon can have very godly outward appearance. You know, no caffeine, no this, no that, and yet their hearts are far from God. Or a Jehovah Witness living what appears to be a, a moral life. They look godly on the outside, many of them. And, and, but the, notice that that's externals. You know, we can even have politicians, right, or company CEOs that want to live a moral life, not for the glory of God, not to please God, not with a Godward focus, but they do this so that they can be an awesome CEO, right, or they can uh, get elected to office. So there's this outward 
appearance of godliness that looks good, but not for reasons of glorifying God, which is what he created us for and living for God. I remember years ago, a guy, he actually got saved, but he was in church for years, and he said, you know, I've gone to church for years. You know why? He goes, it's a great place to sell cars. And he meant it. And he was a baptized, card-carrying member of that church, probably in leadership. But his motive was not the glory of God. His motive for being at church wasn't from the heart. It was from the heart, but it was more with himself at the center of his heart and not God. So Paul contrasts the false teacher who looks godly to get something, to get their way. And then, but he contrasts that with somebody who's godly, and then here's the word that changes the whole equation with contentment. Contentment changes the whole thing because contentment comes from the heart. It's not just a focus on the externals, but the contented heart has a Godward focus. You see the difference between verse 5, let's look at verse 5 together. The end of verse 5, a depraved mind of truth. They, they think that godliness is a means of great gain. The difference between that person and then verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. The difference between those two is that the first has a goal in mind for some type of gain, some type of benefit. I remember years ago, <clears throat> my sister, uh, head cheerleader at her high school in California, and <clears throat> she was a uh, junior and senior of high school. She dated the high school quarterback, and they stayed together all through college. And But Teresa uh, really came to saving faith, and Kevin didn't. And um, she finally, and, and girls, young ladies, don't do this. She gave him the ultimatum. Well, if you don't become a Christian, I'm not going to marry you. All right? What did Kevin want? He wanted to marry my sister. What did he do? He knocked on my door one night crying, just saying, I just want to become a Christian. I want to be a believer. Well, what are you going to do? No, I think you're, you don't mean it. No, I said, come on in, let's talk. And he prayed the prayer and said the right words. And they went on to, to get married and the church. And about two or three months after they were married, he got cleared their coffee table and got his pot kit out and started rolling, you know, his, his weed again and got back to all of his old, old habits so there was an appearance of godliness to get something he, double underline on the he wanted, but it wasn't sincere. It wasn't from the heart. See, it wasn't, the, the, the verse 6 is someone who is godly with contentment, and that doesn't have a self-focus, that has a God-focus. 
Remember David? Young shepherd on the back 40 and God puts on Samuel's heart that he has anointed, a, he wants him to go and anoint a king and he says, go to Jesse. And he goes to Jesse and Jesse parades all of his sons in front of Samuel and said, which one? I mean, some of them look like chiseled, like that's got to be the one Jesse's thinking. And Samuel's all, nope, nope, nope. He goes, you got any others? And Jesse goes, well, we got David. He's sort of like the runt out on the back 40. I didn't even bring him. He goes, bring him here. And he brought David, probably at that time a teenager, probably a little scrawny in front of him. He goes, that's God's choice for king. And what did he say? What did Samuel say to Jesse? God doesn't look on the outward appearance. God looks on the what? contentment, right? So that brings up number two, contentment. You're on it back there. Good job. Listen, contentment in verse six is not what you do or don't have, but who you have. Christ. Is he enough? Is he enough? Is Where God has you, are you okay with that right now? What God has provided for you, is that enough? Are you good with where you're at right now? Now, I'm going to say this. This doesn't mean you can't want that nicer truck, that this or that. I'm not going to even fill in the blanks. Is he talking about me? No, I'm I'm the guest preacher. I don't know. So if God speaks, that's between you and the Lord. But what goes on when we want something too much, right? Uh, Paul David Tripp helps us out here. He said uh, there's two very specific sins that we deal with. He goes, first, sin causes us to insert ourselves as the center of our worlds, making life all about us. We become motivated by our wants, our needs, our feelings. From that, we tend to be more focused on what we don't have than what we do have. We compare ourselves with others. It's a life of discontentment and envy, and envy is always selfish. So that's the first thing. Second is sin causes us to look horizontally for what can only be found vertically. We look to creation for contentment, identity, meaning, peace, motivation. But Paul David Tripp says, nothing in creation can give you these things. God has designed us to only, listen, be satisfied in him. Any engineers here? We've got an engineer? Okay, there's an engineer. God's got the schematics, brother, and, and he's designed this that the only way that we can be truly satisfied is through him. Contentment is not focused on getting more stuff, more dollars. Contentment is being okay with God's providential calling of where you are at right now. 
Again, quote from Paul David Tripp. Contentment celebrates grace. The contented heart is satisfied with the giver and is therefore freed from the craving of the next gift. Wow. That one's worth writing down. Contentment celebrates grace. The contented heart is satisfied with the giver and is therefore freed from craving of the next gift. So what's the opposite? What's the opposite of contentment? It's coveting. Covetousness. It's wanting something or someone so much that we're willing to sin to get it and we'll sin if we don't get it. Listen, coveting is very central in Scripture. I mean, I want you to consider a couple things. Think of our first parents in the garden. Covetousness. Genesis 3, 6. You don't have to open there. It's so, it says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired, so saw, desired, to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate. And we've had trouble never, ever since. Covetousness, right there at the beginning in Genesis. Think about this. Seven out of the ten commandments are associated with covetousness. Wanting something. Is it okay to want something? Sure. It's wanting something too much that you're willing to sin to get it. And you'll sin if you don't get it. This is where depression comes from so often. Coveting was the Apostle Paul's chief sin. I asked Grant when we were visiting here, uh, when I was just starting on working on this, I, I, I hadn't listened to his message. I listened to his messages from time to time. On Romans 7, Paul pours out his heart that he struggles with the sin of covetousness. And, and he, he ends that passage by saying, Oh, wretched man that I am. To one degree or another, we all wrestle with this. And, and it's the source of so many of our struggles and arguments and problems. In fact, let's do go to James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, there's that word again. From Eve, you desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. Do you not do you do not have because you do not ask and you ask and do not receive. Listen to this, because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions goes on, verse 4, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world 
is enmity with God. I'll stop there. And, and I could spend an entire other sermon on covetousness because it comes from the heart. But I'm not going to talk a lot more about covetousness. Y'all get it? Good. Well, let's move on to the next point. Great gain. Great gain. Covetousness plus contentment equals great gain. Now again, contentment does not mean that you can not want a new job or a different house or for your family to do what you want them to do. Um, it, it, it has to do with wanting them too much. I know Grant has talked here about idols of the heart. When, when we take biblical counseling cases, um, the one thing that I want to get to quickly is motives. Why do we do what we do or don't do what we don't do? It comes from the heart, right? And God is the one that designed us for him to be the only one that should rule and reign in our hearts. But often, unbeknownst to us, there's something competing for that throne time in our heart that God has designed us. The only way we're going to be satisfied is when he's ruling or reigning there, even if you're not getting what you want. And any sci-fi people here, you can confess it here right now, sci-fi people. It's like a Klingon warbird that's, that's cloaked. And, and as we read God's word, and one of the things we do in counseling is we reveal, why are you so upset about that? Why is that so important to you? Why does that get you so upset? You're finding that they're wanting something that might not be bad in itself, but that they're wanting too much, it too much, that they're willing to sin, yell, whatever, to get it. But we learn how to put that off, Ephesians chapter 4, and put God back at the center so that whether you get that thing or not, I'm good. It's well with my soul. Finding that contentment in God. Now, I'm not, remember, I'm not a contentment graduate. You have to fight for that. And so we see that cling, and once in the counseling room, once they see that it's decloaked and they can see that what's motivating them often dethrones God and puts that, once they see it, they can identify it and say, I know what you are. So as I'm preparing this message, um, I'm driving down the road and I'm not going to pull into the RV park. Because I, I really want that two-axle RV. Keep you safe, sweetie. I love you. And a lot of people get this whole concept here, and yet they go to the places of that they're craving and just Amazon, ooh, yeah, right? I don't know what it is. Or pull into the RV park and... Yeah, that's going to really cause me to be thankful for 
for my, my older single-axle RV. And I'm sometimes my worst enemy. <laughs> so what do we do? Well, we try to please God. You're created for God's glory. And so we want to please God with what we do with our time, where we go, what we look at. And we continually are in the Word. You're coming together in fellowship, right? So that you're loving God more than the things that would keep you away from church on Sunday, even sleep. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart. For from that will flow the wellspring of life. We guard our hearts so that it's his and that we're good in him and that we find our contentment in him and not in something or someone else. God looks at your heart just like David. Not looking at the externals, he's looking at your heart. Is God sovereign? Be content. Are you his child? Be content. Does he, listen, does he know what you need? Be content. Will he hear your prayer when you cry out to him? Be content. Does he desire to give you good things? Be content. Do you trust him to give you what you need? Be content. Here's another one. Are you okay if he says no? Be content. Or are you willing to wait for that? Be content. Let's go to Matthew, shall we? Matthew 6. Please turn your Bibles or Matthew 6. Let me get there too. Look at verse 24 and 25. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And then we go on to 33 and verse 34, if you could skip down. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things are going to be added to you. Right? The psalmist has learned the secret of contentment. Listen um, what it says in Psalm 73. Who do I have in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. I can't say that. I try. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength and my portion forever. fighting for our contentment in God so that when somebody says, hey, Dave, how's it going? I'm saying, I'm good. That's coming from my heart, and I'm really telling the truth. But I have to confess to you, I have to fight for that. 
I remember my mom, and she's passed away now, Car- Carly's grandma. She was raised with not a lot of money, and my dad started doing pretty good and started making some money. And mom loved her back then little wedgie haircut and her Continental Mark IV. And back then it was a Gucci bag for us older folks. We remember those Gucci bags. And I don't even know what's cool anymore. But anyway, she liked her stuff. She liked her little customized um, license plate on her Continental Mark IV. She liked her house and all of her stuff. And, and then she got saved, and none of that stuff was a big deal, as big of a deal. But she was still growing in contentment. And then she had a brainstem stroke. Petite, pretty little lady, just very, very pretty. She had a brainstem stroke and was paralyzed. And um, spent the next eight years paralyzed in a nursing home. Um, And so everything was stripped away. Everything. And her first day in the hospital, she said to my brother, she goes, well, Steve, she goes, I guess my prayers are my hands and my feet now. And I can tell you, every Sunday that I preached, I knew she was praying for me. She had her most powerful ministry when everything that was so important to her was stripped away. And she was really nice and teeny, and, but the kind of brainstem stroke, the only thing that really made her happy was eating, so she went like this. And yet she was so happy, and I saw a joy in her because all she had was God. That was it. And it was enough. And you could start telling her about this and this, but the minute you visited her and you opened the word, she would light up. Oh, and she would pray, and then you'd open your eyes, and she, she did have, let's see, her left hand was gone. Her right hand was like this. And, and we would look at mom, and she would said, it's good. God is so good, and her salvation. And I'd always tell her, I'd whisper in her ear before I'd say, I'd say, Mom, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. I think my mom finally in those last eight years learned the secret of contentment. And godliness with contentment equals great gain. You know, I looked up the words in the context of back in 1 Timothy. And um, uh, I know Grant just finished a Greek class, so he would have looked this up as well. But the idea of contentment is sufficient. Do you realize, brother and sister, that God has given you everything? You are sufficient for what God has called you to today. Don't worry about tomorrow. It's got enough worry of its own. Do you realize he has equipped you with everything you need to be a conduit of his grace today, tomorrow, this week? And he wants to use you. 
And God can use people who are content, who are satisfied in Him. I love John Piper's ministry. It's had a great impact on me over, over all these years. And, and the, the statement in their ministry, God is most glorified in us when we are satisfied in Him. Let's personalize that. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Him. Are you satisfied in Him? Is He enough? Fight for it. Fight for it. It's worth the fight. Godliness plus contentment is great gain. Great gain for God, the advancement of His kingdom, great gain for you personally, great gain for your spouse, your family, great gain for your neighbors. A contented you is going to benefit your place of work. Listen, even your doctor is going to love it when you're content because your blood pressure is going to be lower. You're not all ate up with just always wanting that, this, that, wanting to line out everybody in your life, wanting to relax. I'm good. I just feel the blood pressure lowering. It's great gain. So how do we overcome the opposite of contentment, which is covetousness? Here it is. You treasure or even covet something more. Christ. Christ. Listen to Matthew. I'm going, you know, if you're already still there, great. It says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures, there's that word again, in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's not wrong to want things. God's desired us. But it's what we treasure that we find contentment. Because trying to get satisfied with stuff this way, we're not designed for that. Only when we're satisfied in God. Do you realize that if you get that thing that you've just been really wanting, you're still not going to be happy? You guys realize that? When, when, when all the people in your life start lining up the way you think they need to line up, newsflash, you still will not be happy. Because God has designed you and me to only be happy in Him. God is most glorified, which is what we're all made for. We're made for His glory when we're what? satisfied in him. Remember, this whole series is some, you younger people, man, I wish I, 
I got this the way I'm, I'm, I'm starting, starting to get it now at 66. Oh, I wish I'd have had that at 40, 30. And it's impossible to have it when you're 20. <laughs> Treasure God. Looking for satisfaction this way versus this way. Some other things that just practical stuff that helps. When I start having a covetousness thought, I, I take that captive and then I practice thankfulness. You know, there's a really good verse. It's Second um, Corinthians ten five, and the very end of the verse says, "We take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ." So here's a really practical way you can begin to fight for contentment in God that you take that thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Okay, I'm really wanting that, that 2000, I'll even take a 2021 Silverado. I don't need a 23, Gary. Okay, I'm going to take that thought captive. And um, Lord, how would you want me to respond? And a really good place to go from there is Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, I'll do the best to paraphrase it. Whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is excellent, whatever is worthy of praise, let your what? I don't want to fall off the stage. Let your mind dwell on these things. And what happens to the Chevy Silverado when I'm thanking God for the cross? I'm thanking God for his provision and that everything. What happens to the Silverado? takes little wings and just flies away. So we fight for that by taking thoughts captive and thinking on God and treasuring God more. Treasuring God more than something or someone. We're about done here. I've got another good quote from Paul David Tripp. He writes this. Here's one of the most beautiful fruits of grace. A heart that is content. More given to worship than of demand. More given to the joy of gratitude than the anxiousness of want. It's grace and grace alone that makes this kind of living possible. Oh, you guys are in a good church. You really are. And the gospel is being proclaimed up here week in and week out. And we need to be reminded of the gospel. I don't care how long you have been a Christian. But when we meditate on the cross and what God has done, that, 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 that our sin was placed on him and his perfect righteousness imputed to us, and that we're washed clean and we're accepted and we're adopted. And he gives us life now and he satisfies us now with everything we need. And the best is still yet to come. Meditate on those things. Find those things to be your treasure. And the things of the world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's a fight. It's not easy. I'm here to tell you, it's not easy, but it's worth it. Treasure Christ. 
treasure Christ. I'm so thankful for your leadership here. They are fighting for your joy in God. You realize the pastors, I remember years ago, uh, we were at Bethlehem Baptist Church, and John Piper was up there preaching, and I'm so old, there was not a whole lot of pastors there before John Piper was even well known. And you know what he said? He goes, you know what the job of me and the elders of this church is? You know what our number one job is? We're fighting for your joy in God. That's our job. Drop the mic. You have pastors here. Pray for them. Pray for their holiness. Pray for their contentment. Pray for them and their families because they are fighting for your joy in God. And this is a gospel-centric ministry. And I pray for you. I mean, I joke, but I mean it. I mean, if we lived up here and I had the green light, I'd probably be sitting over there by Tim or something. And, and there's no perfect church. I understand. But these guys are fighting for your joy in God so that you would treasure that and in that find contentment. Okay? Let's pray.